John chapter 4, verses 43 to John chapter 5, verse 18. After the two days he left Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem and the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Once more he had visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his, at his word and, and departed. Whilst he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when the son got better, they said to him, The fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethseba, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for many, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat, pick it up and walk? The man who's who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something else may, something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work at his work on this day every day and I too am working. For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath but he was calling God in his own father making him making himself equal with God. Father thank you for your goodness to us that you've given us a word from yourself that uh, you've caused these things to be written down that the Bible is inspired by you. Uh, and that people uh, wrote as they were carried along by your Holy Spirit. <coughs> Father, we thank you that we can uh, give some thought to this passage now and 
and benefit from it as it helps us with our faith in Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to be people who grow stronger as Christians and have a deeper desire to always love you and serve you. Thank you for this time now, and we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the topic of God is one that uh, confronts everybody and people cannot avoid having an opinion on God. When Julia Gillard, PM Gillard, was interviewed by uh, John Fain on ABC Radio this week, John asked, do you believe in God? PM Gillard responded, no, I don't, John. I'm trying to get the twang. (laughs) No, I don't, John. I'm not a religious person. Apparently, she added afterwards that she was uh, brought up a Baptist and even won prizes for recounting memory verses. But then she said, but during my adult life, I've, you know, found a different path. I'm, of course, a great respecter of religious beliefs, but they're not my beliefs. Well, although Julia Gillard was confronted with uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, it seems, as a young lady uh, at the Baptist Church in Mitcham, it seems on her own omission she has found a different path. Well, that's one response to uh, Jesus, isn't it? And that's the topic that gets raised today uh, in uh, John chapter 4 and 5. We can see Jesus confronts people uh, and they have different responses to him. Although we've considered the uh, current state of play between God and the Prime Minister, the really more important topic, though, is, is about ourselves and how we respond to God. More specifically, uh, how we respond to God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he sent into the world. Uh, in the first part of this section, we, we see something of the Galileans' response to Jesus, and they behold something of his glory. But what kind of welcome did the Galileans give to Jesus? At first it seems like a bit of a mixed bag. If you're looking in your outlines, we're at uh, point number one. The question is, what kind of welcome did they give to Jesus? I say it's a mixed bag because uh, in John chapter 4, verse 43, we read this. After two days he left for Galilee, and then Jesus makes a comment. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. Not honouring a homegrown prophet on his own turf seemed to be something that came out in the other Gospels as well. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we see that Jesus uh, speaks to the people of his home area in Galilee and they start to say, isn't this someone whose brother and sister we we know? We know uh, his mother. Uh, And we're told that Jesus didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief, which I always thought was an intriguing verse. It's not as though he couldn't do them. Somehow he lost his Godhead uh, that he he was unable to, but it seems in the face of unbelief it would be a a perverse thing to do. Likewise, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus speaks to the folk in Nazareth, which is in Galilee, about how the scripture is fulfilled in him, in their hearing, and they don't like what they've got to hear. And so they try to lay hold of him by force, 
and take him to the edge of town and they're ready to throw him off the edge of the cliff. So we get the impression that the, the Galileans had an interesting kind of welcoming response to Jesus. <clears throat> well, why is it that they did welcome him? Uh, as it says in John 45, 4.45, when he arrived at Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Why did they welcome him? Well, it seems that uh, it's in the same reason that uh, someone might welcome the circus coming to town. Uh, it's great to see some uh, kind of wonderful tricks. Uh, if you've ever watched those magic shows on the TV where people cut women in half in boxes and pull umpteen number of rabbits out of hats, it's, it's impressive to see some kind of magic things. Uh, and some of these people had uh, witnessed uh, Jesus turning water into wine at Cana. Uh, and also, we're told that they, they'd seen all that he'd done in Jerusalem. And earlier in John's Gospel, we're told that he did mighty works in Jerusalem. But did they really make a connection between the signs that Jesus performed uh, and the living faith that they should have had in him? Well, it seems that they probably didn't. And that's uh, the context for the, the words that Jesus speaks to this royal official whose child is sick. If you have a look down um, at 4 verse 48, the, uh, I'll get my verse right. Jesus responds with a challenge to the royal official in verse 48. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. This royal official, uh, the word in Greek is actually reference to either, either having royal blood himself or working for someone in royalty. And it's more than likely he worked for Herod Antipas, who was part of the royal Herodian family. We're not exactly told. In any case, the, uh, the royal official is in deep water. He's become aware that he's getting out of his depth because life has taken a turn for the worse and he cannot fix the situation. He has a son who is ill. Indeed, it's uh, so desperate we can see that the son is close to death. And so he does something um, somewhat desperate and travels 30, about more than 30 kilometres from Capernaum over on the Sea of uh, Galilee and uh, he comes over to speak to Jesus. He travels a long way. And Jesus challenges him with these words. Unless you people see miraculous signs, you'll never believe. And so he's got a choice as he hears Jesus. Is he going to turn with his tail between his legs and go back home and back off? Or is he going to express a living faith? And we see that he does uh, have a faith in Jesus. He presents his request again. Sir, come down before my child dies. So it's a very sombre mood at this point. And uh, there are times when we experience desperate situations and great sorrow. Uh, and it leads us to pray as well for God to help. For this man, the news is good. Because Jesus does extend his mercy and his kindness. And he does it even without going over to Capernaum. Jesus shows that he's all powerful. He does it with a single word. And it's simply uh, the boy is healed from that time. And this man becomes a model for us. He, um, he doesn't see the sign, and yet he still believes. 
And in the same way, we can't actually see what Jesus has done either. We can't do a Michael J. Fox and do a back to the future machine and head back 2,000 years ago to, to witness firsthand the mighty acts that Jesus performed. Uh, and we can't offer the kind of uh, scientific type testing for evidence for what we believe. We have to just take Jesus at his word uh, and trust the witnesses that, are, that have actually seen it firsthand. And so this, this guy who takes Jesus at his word without seeing the miracle is a model for us. Jesus also knows that this is our situation for in um, John chapter 20 when he spoke to Thomas who doubted his resurrection and said, you know, put your hands in my fingers, in in my hands and in my side. Uh, This is what Jesus said to Thomas after that. Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those like us who have not seen and have yet believed. The fruit for the uh, royal official at taking Jesus at his word was very good. Uh, we pick it up in verse 52. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. Now we're sort of introduced at the start of John's Gospel to the idea that people will have different responses to Jesus. Uh, In John chapter 1 verse 14 we're told the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And throughout John's gospel people behold Jesus and his glory. When he turned water into wine we're told the disciples saw his glory and put their trust in him. This man has uh, now been reunited with his family and he can see the glory of Jesus again in a healing and he puts his trust in him. But there are times when we might be tempted to doubt. Uh, We read about these things and we can appreciate it it has happened, uh, but there still are times when we might be tempted to doubt. For example, when uh, you think about the resurrection from the dead of the Lord Jesus and his return to take us to be with God, as we're told in John chapter 2, Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going, to, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you, may, you also may be where I am. Now that's that's a truth that we could be tempted to doubt, isn't it? Uh, we can't, we haven't seen Jesus uh, return. It's been, you know two thousand years now, and we could be tempted to doubt that Jesus will return again. But this is another good example where this guy, he he didn't have any evidence to see. He just had to take Jesus at his word, and we're in the same kind of boat, aren't we? Even when it comes to teaching kids in scripture classes that yes, Jesus rose from the dead and he's, he's coming again, we're tempted to say, well, we can't believe that. But the fruit of believing it for this guy was really good, wasn't it? Because what Jesus said was true. And so this passage is a good reminder to us when we're tempted to doubt things that the Bible teaches us, that Jesus is true to his word. And so these are good passages for us to look at uh, to remind us to take Jesus at his word. Well, in the next section, uh, Jesus once again reveals his glory and he gives that 
revelation of his glory with a sign which foreshadows a new age which is coming, a new resurrection age, which Jesus talks about in chapter 5, verse 28. But the Jews longed for a, a new age, uh, a special time where the sort of things that Jesus is doing uh, would actually be the norm. For example, one of the passages that they benefited from was in Isaiah, which reads this way about a time when God's going to visit and things will be made well. This is what Isaiah 35 verse 3 says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open. Then, sorry, then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. In this next episode, we see um, somebody leap up uh, and it's a crippled man. But where is his hope initially? Is his hope in Jesus who he's standing there talking to for some healing? He's been there a long time. He's nearly been there for nearly 40 years. Uh, and the conversation that he has with Jesus seems to centre on this pool and something that will happen in it. He says, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Clearly he's waiting for some kind of disturbance in this pool, but what exactly is he waiting for? What kind of disturbance is he hanging his hope on? Well, if you have a look in your uh, Bibles right now at verse 3, you'll notice that there's no verse 4. Oh, that comes as a surprise. It just skips from verse 3 down to verse 5. But there is a verse 4 there. It's down in the footnote at the bottom of the NIV Bible. And it says something to the effect of, <coughs> waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. And so when this guy is saying to Jesus he's waiting for the, the water to be stirred, he's got in mind, it seems, this superstition possibly of an angel that comes down and stirs the water up and then the first person who rocks on into the water is, is healed. Uh, but the people who wrote around the time of Jesus didn't actually record uh, any ideas like that. There's no sort of written evidence for that kind of thing. There's only uh, analogies or, or stories about that kind of superstition and the healing powers of the water. The reason why that verse is actually not included with the full text, by the way, is because it seems to be put in later by some copyists, uh, but it's not part of any of the original, earliest, most reliable manuscripts. So we get it in a footnote. Uh, some people thought the, um, the pool might have been medicinal. It, ha it had a, a red colour to it, and it might have been due to some mineral called chalabite. Uh, either way, the man's looking forward to this disturbance, which might have had to do with more water coming into the pool. Uh, we don't really know. But he's certainly not focused on Jesus uh, and the power and authority that Jesus has. So Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? And he gave the response we've just read about not being able to get in when the water's stirred. 
But Jesus said to him in verse 8, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And so we can see that this man did have a response to Jesus which was positive. He didn't uh, respond together with uh, outright unbelief. He, he responded with obedience uh, and a belief of sorts. I can recall the first time I read this passage as an adolescent back in 1988 when uh, Michael Jordan was shooting hoops for the Chicago Bulls and Tom Petty was singing, I won't back down. You can stand me up to the gates of hell, but I won't back down. I was in year nine at Westport High and I had a injury where I was on crutches for 12 weeks. And I was astonished that Jesus could just fix this guy up with no problems so quickly. And I sat there reading this uh, section of the Bible with a Texas summer missionary and I asked him the question, which he was probably glad to hear. I said, well, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? Uh, and I think he was glad about that question because later in this passage, we get to see a bit of an answer. Um, when Simon read it, you might have seen it towards the end. We get a bit of an idea of who Jesus is. But the unfortunate thing about this uh, healing was that some people were disappointed about the day when Jesus did the healing. And we pick it up in the end of verse 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Verse 10, And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And so the big problem for the Jews is uh, that Jesus told the man to carry his mat. Talk about raining on his parade. Uh, he's been... Uh, Lying there for 38 years and now he's healed on a very day that foreshadows a time when there's no more sickness or trouble and these guys are cut because according to their traditions he was working, he was carrying a mat. Now it is true that the uh, Old Testament did forbid working on the Sabbath but it certainly raised the question, what is work? And that was a question that the Jews really liked to get into. Well, they had a good time with that one. In an in a interpretation of the Old Testament uh, called the Mishnah, they divided work into 39 classes, and this happened to fit into the, the no-carry class. That would be working. Uh, but Jesus, by healing this man on the Sabbath, he's effectively saying that what the Sabbath pointed to is being fulfilled in my ministry. Uh, the New Age is actually breaking in now on the present, even as people uh, get healed. This is a sign of the, the resurrection age which is coming, which is uh, going to be spoken about in verse 28 and 29 of chapter 5. So they're really, uh, they're really talking at cross purposes. They're speaking different languages. These, these leaders are hung up about their little regulations about carrying a mat or something like that. And Jesus is saying, look, this whole Sabbath day is actually starting to get fulfilled now in my ministry. Uh, and so they've really missed the boat. Their response to Jesus is one of unbelief. They're not, they're not listening to him. But certainly the, the crippled man does follow through on what Jesus has said. 
Now, did you notice in verse 14, there was a, a mysterious little verse there which uh, talked about a connection between sin and sickness. Did you see that? This is a little bit of an aside. Uh, it says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. In the Bible, we do get some impressions that there is a connection between sin at times and sickness. It comes up in James as well. And also later in John chapter 9, uh, there's a person who's ill and the disciples ask, did his parents sin or did he sin? And Jesus says, neither. Um, suffice to say, some sin could probably lead to sickness. Um, yeah, if you, if you think about breaking the law... Uh, and driving your car too fast, that could lead to certain problems, couldn't it? Or if you um, yeah, consume things which are against the law, that could lead to sickness. So we could see, um, you know, in a weird, mysterious way, the Bible's got this connection between sin and sickness, but, but um, Jesus is in a perfect position to make the comment, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, because Jesus knows everything. So we've, we've got to be cautious when we would go to attribute someone's sickness as a result of their sin because we don't have perfect knowledge like Jesus does. In any case, Jesus calls upon the man to rise, which anticipates what I've said about the, the resurrection age coming up. And at the start of the Gospel, we're confronted with the news that Jesus would be rejected by some. So the response of the Jews here is not altogether surprising. Uh, this is what it says in John chapter 1. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And so here we are receiving news about some people who received Jesus. They have their faith in him, but others who, who don't. Uh, and in verse 15, we get an impression of the response from others. So we'll pick it up in verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, the signs that Jesus performed should have begged the question, who is this man? Uh, and in this response to the Jews, when Jesus calls God his own father, he's, uh, he's showing us that he is not just any human being, that he is divine, that he was equal with God. And later we see in the Gospel that Thomas draws that same conclusion and calls Jesus my Lord and my God. And Jesus commends him for his understanding. In the passage we read earlier from Isaiah, we're told that God would visit his people. Indeed, as, the, as we see the ministry of Jesus, we are witnessing God visiting his people. But unfortunately, his own do not receive him. But for those who do, there is good news. Uh, not everybody rejects him. And those who do receive him receive eternal life. We see that at the start of John uh, in chapter 1, verse 2. 
It says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of a natural descent nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When Jesus went to the Samaritans, uh, they could see that he was the saviour of the world and he was received with joy. They put their trust in him and those people who were sort of outcast, they became children of God. But when he comes to his own, uh, the children of God, they they don't receive him and so they, they aren't right with God. As I said earlier at the start of this sermon, uh, we could talk about where Prime Minister Gillard's at with her path with the Lord Jesus and her response to him. But at the end of the day, the important question is, where do we stand? How are we going to respond to Jesus? Well, that's why the Gospel of John's been written, that we can actually look at these signs and have a living faith in Jesus. This is how John concludes his book in chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miracles, miraculous signs, in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe and that I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So as we're confronted with the news about Jesus and his, his, his miraculous signs, we're to make the association that, yes, he is the Son of God. Indeed, he's God come into the world and that by putting our trust in him, we can enjoy life with God. Well, this week, may we be people who have a stronger faith uh, because we've looked at these things and seen and thought again about who Jesus is, what he's done and how we can take him at his word uh, and enjoy life with God as we trust in him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the examples in your word of people who put their trust in Jesus. and We give you thanks that he was powerful to help them and that he's powerful to save us, people who haven't seen him. Lord, we give you thanks that uh, Jesus came into the world uh, as the mighty saviour, that his signs show that uh, he was God come in the flesh. And we give you thanks that he willingly uh, laid down his life for our sin so that we can be forgiven and enjoy life with you. Lord God, thank you that we can uh, stand in your grace and enjoy life with you as your people. Help us to live for your glory this week. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.